So welcome to Sunday service at Ananda Village. And this morning, um, we are, I'm uh, Nayaswami Indra Devi. This is Nayaswami Ananta. And I'm standing in for Nayaswami Maria, who is in seclusion. And today our talk will be given by Aaron. So, so this week's reading from <clears throat> Rays of the One Light, parallel commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita, is the promise of the scriptures. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, we read the famous parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells of the man who took the wealth bestowed on him by his father and squandered it in foreign lands where he fell into evil ways. At last, repentant, he returned to his father's home. When his father saw him, he was, Jesus tells us, moved with compassion and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Fetch quickly the best robe and put it on him, and give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and bring out the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry, because this my son was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. Small-hearted human beings, identified as they are with their little egos, give exaggerated importance to any slight they receive from others. Thus they imagine God, like them, to be petty, unpardoning, and vindictive. In God's eyes, however, when human beings go astray, there is nothing to forgive. All of us are aspects only of his own self. He who made us resides in us. He is not far away from us, in some far off heaven. His call to us always is re to return to our own home within. The way of return is described in the Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter. Supreme blessedness is that yogi's who has completely calmed his mind, controlled his ego-active tendencies, rajas, and purged himself of desire, thereby attaining oneness with Brahma, the infinite spirit. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. So nice to be with you all. <laughs> and thank you for those of you that are joining online as well. I'd like to start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity. This is number 158. <clears throat> with every stroke of my prayer, I move nearer to thee. Father, swimming in the sea of my craving for thee, I find myself beaten by the winds of severe trials. 
floating on cresting waves of pleasure and pain, then sinking down into the depths of indifference, I still keep looking for thy shoreless shore. With every stroke of my powerful prayer, I move nearer to thee. Never shall I give up. Thou thyself, I know, dost look for my coming. We have this beautiful story of the prodigal son, one of my favorites from when I was growing up as a young Catholic girl. <laughs> and uh, Yogananda says we're all prodigal souls, that we're all wandering in this world of matter and seeking our happiness in the senses. And as it says every week in the Festival of Light, we're on that journey, the soul's long journey away from its home in God, <laughs> which can sound a little disconcerting, but we have the promise of the scriptures that comes to us through this story, which is that no matter where we are on that journey, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what we've done, we always have God's unconditional love. Just think about that for a moment. No conditions, no exceptions, no expectations. Yogananda said, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus and all of the great saints. God loves you. Take that personally. God loves you. And that's really hard for us to imagine. And I think most of us are able to relate more to the older brother, who isn't mentioned um, in this particular reading, but in the passage from the Bible. That's what always I remember as a child, <laughs> the older brother, who at the end of the story, Jesus says, was out in the field and not joining the party. And the father goes to him and says, come join. And you know, the older brother says, how can we celebrate? You know, your son took everything, he spent all your money, you know, he was misbehaving and now he comes back and you're throwing him a party. You never threw me a party. I was here the whole time behaving. And I think most of us can relate more to that. <laughs> but the thing is, that's ego consciousness. Those conditions, those expectations, that's the ego. That's not divine consciousness. I had an experience of realizing this re recently. As some of you know, I've been working on creating this program, Conscious Families and I've been working a lot kind of on my own. And I was having this moment at one point where it just felt very heavy. It felt like there was all this pressure and it just seemed like no matter how much I was working, it was just never enough that there was these expectations. And when I really stopped to reflect on it, I realized, wait a minute, where are these expectations coming from? I'm working by myself, so it's not my boss. <laughs> You know, I could really see it for what it was. I think if I had been working with other people, I might have thought it was coming from outside of myself, as we often do. It's not coming from God. God doesn't have this expectation. I, you know, I really felt in meditation, you know, if this whole thing just completely failed, it would be completely fine. You know, God would just be totally fine with that. And so I realized that those expectations were coming from the ego, that were coming from my subconscious. And so we have that choice, right? And the beautiful thing is that we also have the guidance and the reminder of our friends and also of the masters. We have so many beautiful stories in our teachings of the love and forgiveness of the masters. There's a beautiful story 
of a man who knew Yogananda, um, who was intensely jealous of him, slandered him, spoke against him, hurt him over many, many years in his life. And at the end of Master's life, just before he passed, they met again at a formal gathering. And Master went to him and looked at him with deep forgiveness in his eyes and said, remember, I will always love you. Remember, I will always love you. How could God love us any less than that? You know, how could Master love us any less than that? If he could say that to someone who was, in our eyes, maybe his enemy, think how much God must love us. I will always love you. There's a beautiful story also that always comes to mind for me when I think of unconditional love of Sri Teshwar, who is the Gyan avatar. And I would imagine that most of us don't maybe think of him first when we think of unconditional love, but for whatever reason, he comes to mind for me. Because of this story, when Yogananda, the prodigal son, is always running away to the Himalayas, right? He comes back the last time, and you know, he greets Sri Teshwar, and Sri Teshwar says, okay, let's, let's have something to eat. And Yogananda is surprised, and he says, sir, I, surely I've put you to great inconvenience. You must be angry. And what does Sri Teshwar say? I don't expect anything from anyone. I'm happy only in your own true happiness. I mean, what love to be without any expectation, to be happy only in your true happiness. And that's really the power and the promise of the scriptures. We have so many examples in the autobiography, in the Bible, in the Bhagavad Gita of that. It gives us that window into that divine consciousness to, you know, it's hard for us to imagine from our ego consciousness, from our limited perception, a love like that. And that's the beauty, that's the power, that's the promise of the scriptures, is to show us what that is and to remind us of that. So beautiful. So I was reflecting this week and trying to think of experiences that I've had of God's unconditional love and trying to think of maybe there was a beautiful story that I could tell about an experience I've had of unconditional love. And what came to me, what I realized was that when I felt God's unconditional love, it's not been those beautiful moments. It's been those really difficult moments. Those ones where we're feeling really lost and really in pain and really discouraged. And why is that? That we, that I've been able to feel that unconditional love because it's in those moments when I've lost everything when it's not working the way that I thought it would, that I finally turn towards God. I take that step in that direction and God comes running towards me. And he does that for all of us. I see it again and again in our community that people are going through their tests and trials, just like everywhere else in the world. But in this community, it seems that people are just so much more open to that flow of God's love and grace. They just seem to be blessed by their tests and their trials because we turn towards God in those moments. And sometimes it's not so obvious. Sometimes it is. It's obvious, okay, I need to turn around. I need to make a change. I need to go back towards God. And it's really clear how to do that or when we need to do that. 
But sometimes it's not so obvious. Sometimes we get a little lost or we get a little stuck. And that love is always there, but we have to turn towards it. We have to work on opening up our receptivity to it. We have to take that first step. So I'd like to talk about a couple of ideas, ways that we can take that first step wherever we are on this journey. So recently we had a satsang with Jyotish and Devi and they were sharing a little bit about some of the challenges that we've experienced as a community over the years and some of the lessons that we've learned and how we might use that in this moment that we're facing with the pandemic and some of the challenges that we're facing right now. And when we look back on those challenges, the fire that destroyed the community, the lawsuit that almost destroyed the community, we look back and we say, wow, we made it. You know, Guru's grace was there, divine love was there and carried us through. But what was it that drew that grace? What was it that really created the magnetism for us to receive that love and that grace in those moments? And what Davy shared was what made the difference was people thinking of how they can serve others, thinking more of how they can give, more of how they can help others, and less about themselves. Because when we give, we open up that channel. You know, God needs instruments. Yes, that divine love is always there, but God needs us as instruments to act in this world, to express that love. And when we offer ourselves in that way, when we ask, what can I do? How can I help? In those difficult moments, we expand. And we become channels for that divine love. I've had the privilege of being a part of the families here at Ananda Village and spending time with them. And I've just seen how this principles, these principles are really being put to practice again and again. I mean, just the parents themselves giving to their children and thinking of their children in these difficult times, but also the families thinking of each other and coming together. And I think it's really an example of the way that this community gives, which is through our friendship. That no matter what the difficulties are, no matter what the differences are, that we are really putting this into practice and we're putting our friendships first. And when we put friendship first, we give. Because when we're with our friends, we want to think, how can I help my friend? How can I be a better friend? When we put that first, it's so powerful, so powerful. So the importance of giving to open that channel of receptivity. And I also want to talk about gratitude. Now, I know I've talked about gratitude journal before, and it's such a simple little practice that you wouldn't think much of it, but it's very powerful. So I, I feel to talk about it again. You know, sometimes when we're going through difficult times or we're feeling a little lost, something simple like a gratitude journal, we think, is that really gonna do anything? You know, I feel like, you know, I need some real help here. Like that's not, <laughs> you know, it's easy. Our ego kind of gets in the way and doesn't um, maybe think to do these things. But um, I just have to say, you know, I started my gratitude journal again recently and it's been such a powerful experience. You know, starting was hard, you know, and it was like, okay, I really had to make that effort. What was I grateful for? Okay, um, toast, you know, or like <laughs> rain, <laughs> you know, little things. And it seems like what 
what purpose could that serve? How could that be powerful? How could that do anything? But when we make that effort day after day to really focus on that, it's that one step you take towards God and God just comes running towards you. And it really, gratitude just opens a channel for that grace, for that love to come in and really transform us. And before you know it, you're really grateful for everything. You know, not just the little things. You're grateful even for the tests. I've just been feeling that in my own life. And so I really encourage you to give that a try. I've also been really encouraged and inspired by our friend Jairam, who, as most of you know, has been in prison. He's wrongly convicted and he's been in prison for the, over 30 years now. And that's a big trial. And most recently he was going through some illness and facing those tests. And he said that in those moments when he felt really just the most pain and weakness in his mind, he kept repeating to himself, I am the disciple of a great master and everything that comes to me comes from him. Think of that. Even if you're not a disciple of this master, I am a child of God and everything that comes to me comes from God. What receptivity, what gratitude to open ourselves to that grace. We just trust that that love is there, right? And all we have to do is take that step in that direction and God comes running towards us. And so I just encourage you to start wherever you can, wherever you are, and just take that first step, whatever it is, however small it might be, and to lastly, just really remember that this is an inward journey. That our home is not outside of ourselves. We're not trying to get anywhere. Even on the spiritual path, we can get tricked sometimes thinking there's something to accomplish, there's something to achieve, there's something to become. Nope. It's right here. In your own heart. There is a a study that was done about people get, getting lost, that get lost in the woods and how they survive. And the interesting thing was that children, young children especially, up to about age six, were the most likely to survive because they never thought they were lost. And we might think that's a little naive, <laughs> so obviously they're lost, but you ask a child, are you lost? No, I'm not lost, I'm right here. <laughs> right? And the teens and adults, on the other hand, panic and immediately think, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And they start flailing about and exhausting themselves and trying to find some outward point of orientation. And isn't that what happens in our own lives? We run around trying to find our home, our happiness outside of ourselves, in our accomplishments, in our possessions, in our achievements, anything. It's got to be out there somewhere. And all the while, it's right here. Swami has a beautiful song that we're going to listen to in a moment. Home is a green hill. And there's one line that um, just really stands out. Home is my heart's land. Home's where I am. Right here, right now. That unconditional love is right here in our own hearts. And we can return to that at any moment we choose through practicing gratitude, through giving to others, and most of all through our meditation. 
when we still ourselves, when we withdraw our energy from that outward seeking and we come back to our home within. And we really connect to that vibration of home. You know, Swami in this song has so many beautiful metaphors and images. The poetry of the song is just so beautiful. But really, it's a vibration. So I invite you, as we listen to the song, to really tune into the melody and the chords and the vibration of the song and that vibration of home that is also resonating in your own heart, to really feel that. I'd like to end now with this, just this short little quote from Swami that he shared in Awaken to Superconsciousness. He said, wherever you are right now, whether geographically or on your own level of consciousness, that is where God will meet you if you call to him with a sincere heart. So I invite you, call to him from your heart, through your service, through your prayers, through your giving, through your friendship. Call to God and come back to that home within. God bless.